Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. He's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, Morena. Good morning, New Zealand. It's uh, 9.03 here on SENZ, a busy three hours coming up with uh, some rugby, some pugilism, a little bit more rugby, a panel, uh, a visit to the racing side of things, busy weekend there wasn't it, and uh, a bit of league news as well, even though the NRL season is over, there's plenty going on in terms of speculation about who's going where and when and who's not paying, so uh, we'll be looking at that with Andrew Voss as usual after 11 o'clock this morning. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, it's a bit of a review of the weekend, really, to be fair. There are sporting gods, and they do smile down on favourable recipients to present us with good outcomes from time to time. And Saturday afternoon in Christchurch was certainly one of those occasions when Waikato's heroines won the Farah Palmer Cup, hanging on for grim death to hold out the four-time champion Canterbury side. Bizarrely, Bizarrely, 15 top-line players were deprived of the occasion in a sport that craves and demands more attention and recognition. The superstars were forced to look on like the rest of us. No matter though, no matter. And it's to be hoped that the champions' trip home was a lot more swift and direct than their trip to the final itself was. Pay-per-view boxing. That's not everyone's cup of tea, is it? Uh, but it, if it is and you did pay, you literally pounding for pounding got your investment back yesterday. After five knockdowns, the Gypsy King, Tyson Fury, was triumphant. Deontay Wilder was left sprawling and eating canvas in the 11th round. This has been a terrific trilogy, one that has sparked a resurgence of interest in the heavyweight division. The theatre and spectacle of Fury's entrance sometimes is a little pantomime-like, but there's no doubt in the power he has in his punch. Elsewhere, the Silver Ferns beat the men in Game 1. Young Grace was to the fore. The All-Whites had a triumphant return after not lacing their collective boots for some 700 days. That was impressive. The two Sams successfully survived the rigours of domestic rugby, albeit as losers, and now can dig out the passports with Colsey and the others. Foxy showing signs that the big late check might possibly put a full stop on a tough and draining year. Saki, the unbeatable, demonstrated there's no such thing as a certainty in racing over a weekend where yet again, incredibly, there wasn't one bad ride or one bad drive. Amazing. Every weekend the same. Was there anything else? Have I missed anything? Oh, yes, that's right. The log stayed put. Fins down. Birds up. 
little inside ball. Jeffries on the carry. Trying to get over the top. Whanganui, but they can't. Smith, this is lovely continuity by the Rams. Whanganui trying to get over the top. They've done all right. Here's Kane. Ball comes out wide. Tapili. Bit of space here for the Rams. Tapili to the outside. That's Bavin Brown beating bodies. Looking on the inside. Jeffries. He's got a run in. He pins the ears back. And the second row forward's going to go in. Here we see. Looks like it's afternoon over. What are we making the debutantes? He gets a lovely round of applause from the crowd at Owen Delaney Park Toport. It's just good seeing the All Black skipper playing Heartland Championship Rugby. Well, after close to seven months out of action due to injury, All Black captain Sam Kane made his return with King Country on Saturday, playing for almost an hour. Uh, and he joins us uh, again this morning. Sam, thanks very much. Uh, you've been a regular on the show. It's great. Now to catch up with you uh, as a, a player again. How good does it feel to be back in in the, in the frame? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Yeah, you're right back as a player. I've been a professional uh, rehabber or professional trainer without playing for a wee while now. So just, yeah, real cool to, to pull on the boots again. Um, different level of footy. It was, a little, it, was, it was challenging. It was unstructured, but I, I loved it, and it was... Um, it's just a great occasion, really. So the plan was, uh, was it for uh, a second-half appearance, or did you just feel that good, you just wanted to be out there? Um, no, it was more, we talked about roughly 40, and then I said, oh, I'd be pretty keen to play a bit more. And they just said, just see how the game goes, um, you know, if you've made, based off how much contact I've had, really, in that first half. So yeah. um, I just said, I'm good to go for a wee bit longer. So between 50 and 60, and I think ended up playing about 55, 57. So, no, pretty happy. Yeah, physically too. Um, no problem with the areas that, of course, you uh, strife a bit lately. No, nah, nah, no, no trouble. Um, so sort of certainly noticed uh, my instincts and, and timing were a wee bit off after a wee while out of the game. Um, but hopefully, a little bit of rust out. And um, but yeah, the shoulder, shoulder felt really good. So that's, that's the main thing. So how was uh, Heartland Rugby, Matt? How, how did you feel? I mean, uh, I understand you stayed with mum and dad the night before the game. Dad dropped you off and that sort of thing. I mean, <laughs> that is, uh, it's been a while since that happened, has happened, I'm sure. How, how did you enjoy the experience? <laughs> yeah, it'd be a long time since um, dad's dropped me off to footy, I think. Um, no, I, I really enjoyed the experience. I think probably the most humbling thing and the thing that uh, was just a, a real good reminder around um, grassroots rugby in New Zealand was that we had guys, you know, the morning of the game who'd got up to milk um, at seven, no, 3.30 in the morning. We had guys who um, only got to the game just before kickoff because they'd been, um, had to do the morning shift uh, as a mechanic, things like this. Uh, we had, you know, numerous guys that couldn't make training on Thursday because of work commitments. And just highlight to me, you know, the, and reminded me the, the level of commitment that a lot of people show, a lot of guys, and me and woman show um, to play the great game of footy. Um, it was awesome to be involved and rub shoulders with those guys again because it's probably been a good 10 years since I've played club rugby and um, yeah, sort of brought back a lot of those memories. And because uh, quite clearly, Sam, you can, uh, you know, and it's understandable, you get lost in that. that you, you get so far removed from that uh, super rugby and international level, uh, you, you kind of lose sense of that, don't you, in a way? 
Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, for example, on, on Thursday night, I picked up a guy who, who plays for the Rams, uh, Cody. Picked him up from the mount. We travelled over to Mangakino, um, had training, uh, had a feed at the RSA and then drove back. But um, I didn't get home till 11.30. And, um, you know, we, I'm, I, said, I said to the boys for years, you know, we, we train at hours now that are pretty friendly. You guys, you guys are training late at night and doing that twice a week, and then getting up to be at work on site at seven, seven thirty. So it's a it's a big commitment, um, and it, it was, you know, like I said, pretty humbling and, and a good reminder to see it and witness it firsthand. And your your interaction, um, I mean, the All Blacks are pretty good at interacting after the game with people at Eden Park and whatever. But the interaction with the local people, how how did you enjoy that? Yeah, it was cool. Um, there was, I don't know how many people there would have been there. It was a, a good showing, like enough to have a good crowd. And then, um, obviously, you know, the kids and stuff come onto the field after the game. And, um, yeah, the, I don't think it matters when it comes to the kids, whether they're from, you know, at Eden Park or, or a ground like that. They're all generally um, pretty well mannered and appreciative of your time. So, yeah. All right. Okay. So um, that that over and done with. Now, what's the plan uh, as you prepare to head out? What's what's this week look like for you? I'm back training with both Plenty today and tomorrow, and then I make my way to Hamilton on Wednesday. I need to get there to pick up my passport, and then um, then I'll head up to Auckland on Thursday and fly out Thursday night to to Washington. Have you had any uh, contact with um, with uh, Ian Foster or anyone in the All Black camp uh, since your performance on Saturday? Uh, yep, spoke to Nick Gill directly after the game, and Fozzie was there as well on, on the line. So it's just uh, checking in how I got through and everything was all good. Uh, and yeah, they're happy. Okay, so um, obviously you'd you'd like um, to get into the action as soon as possible. Is uh, have you ha- had any? chats or any thoughts about uh, exactly when you might get back in that all-black jersey on the park, or do you have to do some work around the fringes first? No, no no real discussions around that. It's more about getting back in the environment, um, training at that level and intensity that the all-blacks do, and um, just getting a, a read off that, how, how far off the pace I am or if I'm good to go, and um, ultimately I'll just get up to the, the selectors around um, and coaches if I'm good to go, but um, it sort of makes sense that, that that game against the States would be a pretty good um, sort of ease back into test footy. So how, um, have you had chats too about the, the captaincy side of things? I mean, we've heard comments that perhaps you might not be the captain when you first go back to um, to joining in. Artie might still be holding on to the reins there. Have, have you talked about that uh, with anyone? Um, not really, but... I, uh, well, Foz and I have had a little discussion, but it sort of we just talked about um, me coming back in and, and finding my feet, and like touched on training at the level that the All Blacks train at, um, and sort of just I wanted to try and fit seamlessly back into the environment. Um, obviously, don't want to put any unrealistic expectations on my own shoulders. I think um, you know the boys have been going really well. Artie's been obviously leading well, and then got the likes of Sammy Whitelock and Colsey coming in with leadership experience too. So it was just about us sort of getting up to speed with what they've been doing, um, not trying to take over the reins by any means, and um, 
in terms of playing minutes, you know, nothing's ever guaranteed in the All Blacks. You've got to go out and earn it each week. So, uh, yeah, that's sort of my mindset going into the tour. What about your mindset regarding uh, injuries, Sam? You've had a hell of a bad run with them. And are you just, you know, you, you, I mean, after the initial disappointment, are you getting better with, with sort of facing up to the reality, re, realities of it and, and the patience of, of uh, getting over it and getting back in? I mean, it's, a hell of, it's been a hell of a long process. There, were there times when you thought, nah, maybe, um, maybe this is a, a step too far for me? No, nah, not at all. Um, yeah, I, I certainly hear there's a bit of outside noise about been injured a wee bit recently, but um, if you think about it, I played a, a heck of a lot of rugby um, by the age of 29, and um, it's probably just been the last three years. You know, I haven't had a surgery or a major injury um, my whole career until I hurt my neck, and then I've had just two in the last three years. So, I'd, and mm-hmm. the shoulder was um, sort of a bit of wear and tear. That now that I've had the surgery, I look back and think there was some early warning signs of things that weren't quite right. But um, it never really affected how I played too much. But it did how I trained. So, yeah, I just, um, you know, one's the next unfortunate, and this one's a little bit of wear and tear, which makes sense. So it's just a little bit of a bad run in my two, two major surgeries in three years. But um, you know, last year, 2020, um, had, a, had a great year of footy and, and played every game that I was available, so in 80 minutes. So, no, not for one moment that I think that's not what. I want to be doing. Uh, yeah, pretty focused on on getting back and playing well, and still feel like I've got plenty to offer and get better at. You've watched a hell of a lot of rugby. You've been good at it. I think I'm, I was just counting up. You've been around the All Black camp. You've been around the Chiefs camp. You've been around the Bay of Plenty camp. Now the King Country <laughs> camp. So you've you've watched a hell of a lot of rugby. Played just the touch of it. Uh, in review of um, that rugby championship, I don't expect you to go too in-depth about it, but um, your feeling about the All Black performance to this point overall as you rejoin? Pretty good. Um, I think they've improved and taken it a step up from last year. I think the real highlight is probably the depth that's been built in the squad and the internal competition for places. I think that could be wild to think of... Um, so many guys challenging for starting positions, um, so that's mm. a, a real strength. And then obviously the, the growth and, and a lot of guys in terms of the leadership and having to step up with, with guys away is only good for the overall environment when everyone gets back in and is, is pushing for spots and competition. So um, I think we're in a, a much better place than we were last year and, and hopefully we can keep improving on this tour. Okay, mate. Well, thanks very much for your report on uh, King Country Rugby. It was fantastic that you were able to take part there. Uh, but the best news is that you came through safe and sound and you're on that plane uh, later in the week. So uh, on behalf of uh, rugby fans around the country, great to see you back, mate, and travel safely. Thank you. Appreciate that, Smitty. Thank you. Cheers. All the best, Sam. Thank you. It's Sam Kane, of course, uh, set to rejoin the All Blacks. Uh, at the end of this week, uh, along with Sam Whitelock, uh, Dane Coles, Josh Lord, uh, and Shannon Frizzell. Actually, Shannon Frizzell left the park, uh, looked a little bit uncomfortable for Tasman. I haven't heard any reports about that, but um, he had certainly had ice pack on uh, around about his shoulder, I think, uh, at the uh, about the 60-minute mark in that game at the weekend. So uh, haven't heard anything, so uh, touch with everything okay with all those players coming through. Their outings over the weekend, uh, 9.18 here on SENZ, double eight double three is our text number. Uh, I've got a couple in uh, already, but 
Um, what did you feel? Oh, what was your highlight of the weekend? Um, what did you, uh, you know, what was it for you that, um, in a weekend away from, largely away from international sport, what was it domestically that grabbed you? There were some highlights for me. Um, what about you? Double eight double three oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. Text of the week. Uh, Zane got it last week. Temper pillow worth two hundred and ninety nine bucks. Uh, and of course uh, that temper queen package at the end of the month with mattress base pillows ten thousand dollars worth. Uh, let's start that off with a hissner roar for this week nine eighteen. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, and it's 9.23 here on SENZ, a, a great text which makes me feel a little bit jealous from Tim the teacher. Uh, kia ora, Mr Smith, had the quintessential Kiwi Saturday. My 11-year-old daughter caught enough white bait on the Kakanui River to make two patties, then on to Centennial Park to watch North Otago win by two with my son Jonty, then adjourned to the pub where I got an, on Probabil at 8-1 to one, and enjoyed uh, the, the rugby, the Shield game as well, and the comments around that. So he said, uh, perfect, absolutely perfect. Uh, I'm uh, a little bit jealous of that kind of a Saturday afternoon. I think that sounds absolutely fine, beginning uh, with the white baiting. That would be special. Um, MS Stoney's done it again for uh, Chennai Super Kings, John. So uh, 18 off six balls as the Chennai Super Kings chased down 173 runs. This is the bloke, of course, who's going to sit in the dressing room at the T20 World Cup. And half of India, or more than half of India, would wish he's still playing, I would imagine, with that kind of form. So Stephen Fleming's great run, and he has had a great run with the Chennai Super Kings. Not many people get a job in Indian cricket that's lasted as long as Stephen Fleming's. Uh, so his relationship, along with the owner, uh, and of course MS Dhoni, you don't want to get on the wrong side of him, has been an absolutely winning formula. So they move into another final with the Capitals, and they will face the winner of the elimination match, which has a real Kiwi interest in it, not just the players, but the two coaches, of course. Hands-on coach Mike Hessen with Bangalore, and our very own Baz McCullum with the Kolkata Knight Riders. So yeah, that is uh, interesting indeed in itself. Yeah, rolled into work this morning, and then, yeah, they, they were up against it, the Chennai Super Kings, and Stephen Fleming's been there since day one, and they've won so many titles and in a knockout game to go into the final again. And there's Emmy Stoney. I think they needed 24 off 12 or something like that, and mm. his eye smithy is just amazing. I mean, he gets older, but his shots stay the same. Um, and Rishabh Pant had to watch from behind the stumps Watch the old master just going for it. So, now that was pretty entertaining. Um, I'm still flat, Smithy, from the weekend. You've done very well not to rub my nose in it. Um, but the Markle and the Magpies, holy moly, Hawks Bay, they played some damn good rugby. Uh, their offloading game on the fringes was just amazing. I thought their backline completely outshone the Tasman backline uh, and their work at the breakdown. Uh, was just absolutely superb and just blew the mark all out of the water and they couldn't recover, Smithy. One of the interesting things that came out of it, and I've just got a text from Terry here as well, uh, which we, it was a bit of a talking point for us after the game itself. Um, the performance, uh, says Terry, of, of Hawks on Saturday was truly outstanding. There continues to be some major inconsistencies amongst our match officials in regards to the no-arm tackles. And I'm referring to the tackle on Ash Dixon, which appeared illegal, but James Dolman and the TMO saw it differently. Now, my take on that, um, I, I kind of thought that it was an illegal tackle. There was no arms involved, and it was a shoulder directed at the head area. Now, whether it caught the head or the neck or whatever, it was, it was too high not to be looked at very closely, and, and it was just wrong technique. 
So I, I felt that he had acknowledged James Dolman that that was foul play. Um, but then he said, uh, because you scored a, a try as a result of the advantage, the try will stand. So I was still expecting that he'd at least call the player out involved and say that was illegal and show him a yellow card of some nature. But he didn't even acknowledge it. He didn't even say anything at all. So uh, my understanding is... is is that a, an act of foul play cease to exist because someone scores a try? Does that happen? I, I wouldn't have thought so. An act of foul play is an act of foul play, surely. Yeah, I, that was a bad call. Um, easy to a fussy it was, and it's an old technique that props used to use, just kind of fly in and use their body to kind of hurt the opposition player. And it, it couldn't quite show conclusively, could it, in the replays, whether it had hit Ash Dixon in the head. But Ash Dixon stayed down, and he's not one to stay down. So you've got to think that it yeah. clipped him, uh, at least. So for me, that's a no-arms tackle, active foul play. I don't care if you score afterwards or not. That was a yellow card, Smithy. I don't think you could have given him a red card uh, because the, the no. conclusive, it wasn't conclusive evidence, but that's a terrible technique from Isi Tuanga Fassi. And I just wonder whether, are there um, post-match protocols here? Is there a judicial officer who's going to have a look at that? Because um, that, that was the one bit of controversy from the game, and I thought he deserved at least... A yellow card, but James Dolman does some funny things on a rugby field. In terms of officials, he's normally the one where I'm kind of scratching my head afterwards. So I'm sure um, he'll have a wee review, and they'll have to have a look at that because it was an ugly tackle, an ugly incident, which went unpunished. So you know, if you're sitting there with your little son and going, "You don't do that, boy," or oh, he didn't get a penalty, he didn't get a yellow card, why why wouldn't I do that? You know, so it was interesting. It was interesting, and uh, it would be nice to get to the bottom of it. I'm not quite sure whether Hawks Bay made any complaints about it. Um, and at the end of the match, they were just jubilant that they had held on to um, that. But the other thing, of course, John, is that they are now top of the table in the Premiership. Now, uh, I don't know how much we can read into that in this season in particular because of the fact that the three Auckland sides are no longer part of it. Some matches just haven't taken part, uh, taken place, so other sides have not had opportunities to get points from time to time, so um, it's a whatever it is. It's a bit of a bit of a hollow one. Uh, we'll be talking to um, Mark Ozich uh, after ten o'clock. Of course, he's the the coach of the Hawks Bay side. Does a good job along with Josh Sims. Uh, Mark Ozich might have an outline of what he expects to happen from here on in. I, I know that uh, Waikato uh, missed out on a Shield challenge uh, not that long ago. Is that scheduled to be back into the pra- into the frame uh, uh, coming up? So. All those sorts of questions around uh, Mark Ozich. We'll also be talking very, very shortly to Mike Angove, of course. No one, no one knows much about more about um, uh, the pugilism side of things in the ring or in the octagon than um, Mike Angove. So his take on Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, Deontay Wilder, the trilogy, been fantastic. Nine thirty. Here's Trudy. Tonight, it was worthy of any trilogy in the history of the sport. You know, I'm not going to make any excuses. Wild is a top fighter. He gave me a real run for me only tonight. And I always said, I'm the best in the world and he's the second best. You know, he's got no love for me, Deontay Wilder, because you know why? Because I beat him three times. And it's like, I'm a sportsman. I went over to him to show some love and respect, and he didn't want to give it back. So that's, that's his problem. I'll pray for him so God will soften his heart. 
Man, what a character, and it's been hailed as one of the great heavyweight championship fights as Fury knocked out Wilder in the 11th round to retain his WBC title. Incredible bout. Two huge men landing numerous blows, five knockdowns. Uh, something, something to behold, really, if you're a fight fan, and even if you're not, you, would have en- you should have enjoyed it anyway. Uh, joining us now to break it down is respected uh, boxing commentator Mike Angove. Uh, Mike, uh, it's been hailed as uh, one of the great fights in history. Uh, is that a bit knee-jerky, or is that a, a, a reasonable comparison? Well, I think, it, look, it's a, it was a cracking fight. It was great to watch. There was drama. Uh, you saw Deontay, again, being outboxed for the majority of the fight, but his power kept him in it. But also what kept him in it was his will and determination. He did improve on the inside in terms of dealing with the weight of Fury and tying him up. Um, but Hart, he took a lot of shots. And um, you know, it, it was a, it was a fascinating fight. It was it was great to watch. Um, you know, historic maybe in one of the top ten, uh, you know, t- title bouts. Those are always open to conjecture. But mm. mate, what a cracking fight! Okay, so let's look at this fellow, this Tyson Fury. Now, uh, undoubtedly, he demands the respect as one of the the greats, certainly of this modern era. Uh, he, he had to bounce back twice. He went down in the fourth round. What were you thinking at that point? Was he done? No. Well, the one thing we know about him is he's got the ability to get up. Uh, we, we we saw it in the in the first fight. He he got up twice. Mm. He got up twice here. Obviously, it was the risk of that that third knockdown because the fight's over if you knock down again. But look, he is genuine determination. He has great powers of recovery. Um, no, he doesn't have a Ray Mercer-like chin, but his ability to recover and re- remain calm when he's under the most immense pressure, uh, that's, that's a rare gift, regardless of what you, your skill set is, regardless of you know a whole lot of other factors. The ability to remain calm under pressure means uh, you can achieve where other guys freak out and, and mentally go to pieces. What about his physique? I mean, he's got these incredibly long legs. They don't even look that athletic, to be honest. They look a bit knobbly, neat, etc. What about this physique of this and, and the size of him? Oh, look, he, he's a tremendously difficult guy. And one of the difficulties about him, he's six foot nine, got a massive uh, reach advantage, and he has a gas tank. Yeah, he doesn't look like Adonis. Um, you know, most athletes at this level, they look in pretty good nick. But, uh, you know, Fury's never going to have that physique. Um, but he, he has a gas tank on him. He uses it well. He, he, he is able to dig deep. And uh, he uses his attributes really well. You know, a couple of his knockdowns came from uh, making Wilder miss. Um, you know, he, he jabs from the outside. He makes you miss. And then he gets on the inside and he works the body. I mean, you know, he, he really put it on Wilder. Um, you know, and, and another thing that the guy did really, really well is he, he didn't back off when he got cracked. He, um, he, kept his, he kept his eyes sharp. He knew that by taking away the distance from Wilder, that diminished his, his ability to punch with leverage. And uh, that, that in itself is, is a real skill. 
so, you know, you, you've got to credit the guy. He, he knew what he was doing. He didn't panic under pressure, and, and it was great. 31 wins, no losses, one draw with Wilder. Um, how does that stack up when you look at his uh, quality of his opposition that he's had throughout his career so far, Tyson Fury? Uh, look, it's hard to say, and you get comparisons across generations and, and across divisions. Um, obviously, the two fights missing from his resume at the moment are um, obviously Usyk, who's, who's the, the, the current holder of the other three belts, and Anthony Joshua. So, you know, those are a defining moments that, that he really needs. Wilder, who's probably the most dangerous single-punch guy, he, he's got him out of there, he, he's worked him out, um, you know, and now, yeah, correct, he, he probably should have had three victories against him. But, um, you know, he needs another defining fight, in, in, in my opinion, to, to really stamp his mark, and obviously that's the... I'm going to call it the other half of the equation or the other third of the equation with, uh, with Usyk, who's currently got the titles, but he has to wait out that trilogy match between, uh, or that rematch rather, between those two before he can uh, go to unifying the titles. Um, let's uh, look at Wilder now. What, what next for him? Well, uh, I mean, mentally, where does he go from here? Um, we mm. saw improvements from him. I thought uh, Malik Scott had, had done a good job. He, he seemed to have a good strategy in place, particularly early. Um, but Deontay did need to relax a lot more. He was trying to put the pre- he was putting pressure on early, but he was putting too much effort. He needed to invest a little bit more. Um, but his defense in particular was still porous. It was still really poor. And, uh, you know, that's something he needs to do. So if I was his trainer, um, you know, you don't throw him straight back into the cauldron again. You build him up. You get him some fights uh, that he can work on some of, some of those skills uh, that he needs to develop. Most of all, um, you know, his offensive output is actually not too bad. It's his defense. You know, his defense is, is, is just, you know, like, like a shark swimming through a hole in a net. It's, it's really straightforward uh, to, to get a punch on him. And, look, he, he doesn't have the best chin. He can be hurt, and we know that, because uh, Tyson Fury isn't a big puncher. So that's the area that, I, that I'd be working on, is um, not just his offense, but actually his, his defense and taking some time to, to skill. Um, you know, question is though, mentally after two KO losses, um, whether he can come back from that. So, you know, there's a few questions to be answered, but uh, I don't think it's over for Wilder. I, I, he's still got massive athletic potential that he can capitalise on. On what you've seen, Mike, um, would Usyk, would Joshua, or is anyone floating around at the moment that would take Tyson Fury? Uh, is there a, a hard enough puncher to make sure when he gets hit, he doesn't get up again? Uh, well, there's no one who punches harder than uh, than Wilder, so that's mm. uh, you know you're not you're not going to beat the guy uh, on a single punch knockout. You can't rely on that. Yeah, there's always that option in, in heavyweight, um, but you need to be able to deal with his boxing and his size. Uh, AJ's got the power to deal with him. He's got a decent boxing pedigree, but we saw how he struggled with Usyk uh, and, and and his movement, and obviously the southpaw angles. Um, I see Fury presenting him with those problems. Um, obviously, Usyk, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a great fighter. A lot of skills and defensively incredibly sound. And uh, I think he gives Fury some problems um, if he can negate the, the size 
and reach advantage that Fury will have. Uh, you know, six foot three versus six foot nine, I think close to 20 mm. centimetres reach advantage. And that is a lot to negate against a big guy who knows how to move and has a really high boxing IQ. But for mine, that's probably the most interesting fight. Um, as I say, styles make fights, and uh, I see that one as being a problem. So how, how far away then, from our point of view, from that level, uh, are the Parkers and Chisoras of the world? Uh, well, you know, you saw AJ outbox Joe uh, mm-hmm. from the outside, um, although Joe got to him you know, at times with his speed. Uh, and uh, I think Fury would, would not give uh, Joe a, a look on the inside. Um, you know, Anna, Anna also friends are in training camp together. So of those guys, though, I think Joe, with the right training camp and with the right preparation, uh, has an opportunity to create some problems for Usyk because of his, because of his hand speed. Um, he needs mm-hmm. to uh, have uh, a really smart ring IQ, however, and uh, he needs to develop um, you know, his ability with southpaws because he's had problems with them in the past. So, you know, look, it's, it's only a few percent in terms of difference. But uh, as you know, you know, a few percent can, can make the difference uh, between military medium and a, and a genuine, um, you know, frightening um, fast bowler. So, so same theory. Uh, Joe needs to upgrade those percentage points, um, you know, incrementally if he's going to catch up with these guys. On the UFC side of things, Mike, before we, uh, we let you go, um, how's it at City Kickboxing? What's the latest with the gym and, and those guys? And, and Dan Hooker, of course, uh, another fight at short notice. Um, oh, look, it's, it's difficult for us. Uh, first up, big props to Dan. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty of, plenty of me- memes around about the size of his gonads. Um, so we, I don't need to explain that any further. Um, you know, but uh, if he beats Mahachev, which he has the style to do so, if he can execute with excellence, um, then he, he's in line for, for a title shot. It's really that simple. And if, if he loses in, in a good fight, um, his stock doesn't go down too much because it's a short notice fight. Um, you know, and uh, I have no doubt, um, you know, that, that Dana will be acknowledging that. You know, a guy who takes a fight on four weeks without his coaching camp, most of his coaching camp or his training partners being ready, uh, you know, that, that's pretty exceptional. Uh, as for the rest of the camp, well, obviously we've got Kaika de France and, uh, and Brad Riddell coming up on December 4 and December 11. Our time's rapidly disappearing for that one, so we need to make a choice about where we base camp. Um, we'll apply for an exemption to try and establish a bubble. Uh, let's, let's see where that goes. Um, that, that's all we can do. Um, otherwise, you know, uh, we, we're really in difficult territory, uh, uh, you know, in terms of uh, re- remaining in, in New Zealand for this camp. But the wider issues of, of where do we go next year, um, you know, that's hard to say. I will note, though, just um, for a few of the naysayers out there, as athletes, if someone in our camp gets COVID, the entire fight is cancelled. So you only have one or two or three fights in a year if you're an athlete. Um, and there is no team more aware of COVID protocols than than we are. Um, so I think people would do well to, to bear that in mind 
uh, with some of the stuff I've seen about um, you know the the team uh, putting the country at risk, etc. So I think you know that just bears that in mind. I just just wanted to make a little note there. Good on you, Mike. I think you've made a, the point very clear there too. Thank you, and thank you too for um, your assessment of of uh, the Fury Wilder trilogy. Absolutely one of the highlights of the heavyweight division. Thanks for your time, mate. All the best. No worries, bro. Cheers, mate. Yeah, cheers. Mike Ango there, and uh, a very, very knowledgeable man and passionate man about uh, the fighting side of things and uh, doing his best work to try and make sure that that continues to try and flourish in this country against uh, quite a bit of adversity. There's no doubt about that. 9.45 here on SENZ. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, Brian says, hi, hi Smithy, the cheap shot on Dixon was badly handled, it should never have got to that particular shot, he had done it at least three times earlier, so uh, I'd spot that, but obviously Brian, you watch the game uh, very, very closely indeed, uh, yeah, absolutely loving the Magpies rugby at the moment, as a young fella who grew up going to all the weekday home games uh, back in the Division 2 days, and then having to deal with not being able to beat Northland or Bayer Plenty to gain promotion, uh, to play with the big boys, it's pretty tough now, to now where I'm confident that every week we will push the big provinces all the way and beat them. Couldn't be more proud to pull on my black and white hoops on as I watch every match. I have a few nerves for next year with our coach and inspirational leader departing. But I'm sure the winning culture is now ingrained and this current group can go on to create a legacy as good as the teams from the 60s. Cheers, Jason. Very, very happy man. Uh, I'll give it to you, Smithy. You were right. My Tasman side weren't good enough. Thought we had the side to do the job, obviously not. Guess we will wait another nine years for another challenge, says uh, Jim. Hopefully not uh, another nine years. Good side you've got. Absolutely uh, good side, Jim. Just uh, came up a, up a side against a side that was perhaps just a little bit better on the day, but certainly uh, I spoke to Ash Dixon straight after the game uh, on television and he said he wasn't surprised at the level that uh, Hawks Bay played at. He said, I think that's been coming for a couple of years and it took Tasman to bring out the best in it. So that's a compliment to Tasman in itself. Uh, multi-time just before 10 o'clock, then after that, we'll go to the man himself, Mark Ozich, uh, on his future as well as uh, the team at the moment. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the hold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, it started on a downer on Friday afternoon and didn't really get much better, to be honest. We tried a six-prong multi and largely unsuccessful. Seahawks got beaten. North Otago just got up. Stade Francais have just um, uh, beaten Claremont, so that was the, the good side of it. But then Zaki went and got beaten at a buck twenty, uh, which was the biggest racing turn-up of the weekend, possibly in the, the last few months to be honest uh, so that was no good today we'll start the week on a positive note shall we can Kansas City Chiefs are playing the Buffalo Bills now these are very two very well performed sides in the NFL uh, Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes I think today at $1.62 the Chicago White Sox are playing the Houston Astros it's playoff time and uh, the uh, Major League Baseball of course uh, very important every team trying their darndest so the White Sox are at a buck seventy nine. And the Silver Ferns are, are in action against the Aotearoa men tonight at um, uh, in Wellington. Uh, they're at a buck seventy, so uh, four dollars ninety-three. Three-prong multi there uh, to start this week off, hopefully on a successful note. 
Um, and that uh, we're going to talk to Louis Herman Watt uh, before 11 o'clock this morning. Uh, we'll talk about Zaki. We'll talk about the fact that that's, of course, the liver mole this week uh, in Hawke's Bay, which is uh, leg three of the Triple Crown. Uh, any favourites, any standout horses uh, early in the week that we could perhaps have a futures bet on? And, of course, it's Caulfield Cup time as well. The big racing, the big racing uh, getting involved. And uh, what does Louis think of 10,000 people at Flemington? So that's where they've put the limit on spectators at Flemington, 10,000 to a race at its peak. Uh, where well over 100,000 go. So it'll still be a bit of a ghost town, but at least they'll have some sort of atmosphere there. Uh, yeah, some good performances over the weekend. Of course, Paul Moati at the TAB before 11 o'clock as well with anything likely happening today. Mark Ozich after the break here on SENZ. How has he formulated such a successful plan with these young guys from Hawke's Bay? And why? Why are we losing them? What's the attraction in Perth? 10 o'clock here on SNZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Sprinting hard goes McKayley too. Gets it back to him. Oh, boy, that's a try and a half. That started from inside the 22. Now here's Dixon. Gets it away to Ely. And... Stacey Ely is only six or seven metres out. Now here come the runners. Jonah Lowe gets it on to number two. We have advantage for offside. He's got a pit in the air and a dive from the line and a try to score. Minari goes again, but Crutchy gets into a What a pass that is. Now there's a chance for Fulmai out on the left wing side. Pops it up and Fusania scores. Oh boy. Well, some people never get sick of listening to highlights like that. I don't, uh, that's for sure. And uh, I really enjoyed the performance for obvious reasons over the weekend. But even if I wasn't Hawks Bay based, I'd be hugely impressed with the way that they're playing their rugby at the moment and uh, the record that they're fashioning. And uh, the man central to that is their head coach, Mark Ozich, who joins us this morning. Uh, Mark, uh, fantastic performance uh, over the weekend, uh, five tries to one uh, against a very good Tasman side. What was your reaction to that after the game? Um, morning, Smithy. Probably much uh, uh, like the rest of the coaching staff, we were pretty relieved. Um, yeah, to get that one tucked away, I think the guys were pretty keen on the challenge and... Um, yeah, to, to get the result and retain the shield and have a reasonably good performance at home was, was pretty special. Well, I spoke to Ash after the game and he, he wasn't surprised at the, the level of the performance. He thought that was, that was one that was uh, in the offing. Uh, did, how did you rate that one of the eight defences uh, of the, this reign with the shield? Oh, I made this huge, huge, hugely special, Smithy. Um, uh, the toughest one, I think the guys physically laid it on the line, which uh, through their defence, like the tries were good, but um, Tasman got some big bodies and big post-meter uh, ball carriers like Frizzell and Putty Putty Parkinson and Moore, and so uh, the defensive effort to, to keep coming and keep chopping those guys and just stem the flow um, in our 22 uh, it was really satisfying uh, the way the boys put their, put their bodies on the line really defensively. One of the interesting things, uh, one of the trends has been for you guys to have to play catch-up. So 
that start, that first 17 minutes, three tries, um, that, that was really, uh, I, I imagine, what set it up for you. Yeah, we've been really conscious of it. Like we've, as a group, like we're trying to find areas in our game to keep improving and evolving. And uh, one of the challenges that we've put in front of the guys is not not dipping a toe in and not waiting, not waiting for oppositions to to feel them out. Actually, we're good enough, and we need to go and assert ourselves and just be more confident in who we are and what we're about. And and that's been growing slowly within the group as they've matured and um, yeah, got a few more runs on the board, so to speak. So. Uh, yeah, that's been a real focus for us the last few weeks is to start well and, and pull the trigger on our game. And if it presents in the first play, then pull the trigger and not be hesitant and back ourselves. And so it's been a, a, an area we've talked about and try to grow with the guys um, and how we train and, and how we talk and um, just our belief, really, to go and, and play it the way we want to play footy. Regardless of the fact you scored five tries to one, there were times that uh, even towards the game, uh, end of the game, that you were under pressure. So I think those goal line defensive turnovers were as big as anything, really, at that point. Yeah, and I think again the defensive effort to keep like the, the tackle height was a big uh, focus on during the week to stop those big bodies rolling through contact and offloading. Um, and some of those crucial chop tackles that ended that game line and gave us some pictures for the referee so we could get on the ball was was crucial. And when you get tired, it's easy just to, to be upright and to ride the contact. And, and that's the pleasing part was the defensive effort and to keep coming and to keep those uh, chop tackles coming, which take a lot of effort and courage with those big bodies. And as I say, when we review this with the lads, that's probably the most pleasing thing out of, out of the performance. So you had a 6-2 split in terms of your bench. Your bench uh, always has been quite instrumental for you. The reasoning behind that and, and the fact that you, you were a little bit bare, I mean, Lincoln McClutchy went in the halfback right towards the end of the match, but you were a little bit bare in that department uh, if, in case anything went wrong. So that was a bit of a risk? Yeah, it's a roll of dice, um, really there. Uh, but we know, like, we want to go, when we go to the bench, we want to go up and the collisions... Uh, are important for us and uh, like playing Wellington last week and then Tasman like we're still not the biggest team uh, physically when you uh, match up man for man and so when we go to the bench we want to go we want to go up levels and we want to go up with our physicality and so the 6-2 split just helps at the moment with where we want to go to with our game and go up in terms of levels and physicality Smithy. so it's a bit of a roll of the dice, and we got away with it, and it was a bit wobbly there towards the end. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a roll of the dice one there, to be fair. Well, one of the things which continues to impress uh, a lot of people, Mark, is the uh, the ability to play so much rugby inside the tram lines and involve so many people. I mean, the way you exploit uh, the blind side, etc., in very narrow channels. Um, is that something you really do focus on heavily? Uh, yeah, and it's, it's out of necessity a lot too. Like we we're not the biggest we're not the biggest guys. And you look at our midfield with Danny and Stacey, and even our outsides with Bubba, uh, Fumai, and Jonah. Um, we're not massive men, and so the, the interplay and the short passing through our skill work and through the com games and just the way the guys uh, train and play together and they freestyle a bit. But it's always something we're talking about around around short passing and. And promoting the ball, and so we need that. We need to play in those short channels, and we need to get defences to come to those short channels and defend us and play and and take those spaces. And so, um, 
mate, it's only a little bit of coaching. The most of it's just the guys, um, you mm. know, backing their skill sets and uh, putting themselves in positions to su- support each other. Um, yeah, so it seems to be working at the moment, but um, yeah, it's more more the players than the coaches, to be fair. Well, Mark, your career's grown alongside the growth of some of these players because you've you've had them at a, a relatively young age. So, I would imagine one of the it's one of the most rewarding things to see that that sort of confidence and that team issue performances you've been able to carry through to a higher level than just secondary school rugby, and and these guys have grown as a result as individuals. So, uh, I got a text in from Ted, uh, and he says, "Do you uh, encourage your guys not to die with the ball in hand?" So you place a lot of ownership on the support players to react. And I, I think in a way that sort of sums up uh, the question I was going to ask about how hard you do, you, do you work on the offload situations? Yeah, we, um, every time we have our backs units, we warm up with some sort of offload game when we finish. Uh, if I go a week without doing catch and pass um, or some sort of offload or play through contact with the boys, um, always presenting those pictures for them and so it becomes second nature that they can put the ball into space and and then we talk about decision making sometimes it comes off sometimes it doesn't and then we'll pull the footage up as as a back group and say well is that a good decision is that not a good decision and and so such like so um like we want to promote it we want to promote the boys playing and we want to promote good decision making and sometimes the balance of having a breakdown or moving the ball comes down to uh you know a millisecond, and so mm. uh, it's something we talk about and try and practice for sure, um, but it doesn't always come off, to be fair. As you see the competition now overall, how do you how do you see it unfolding? For instance, do you, do you believe that might have been the last Shield Challenge? I mean, there was one, I think, for Waikato in the pipeline somewhere. Yeah. What is your, what is your uh, understanding as we look to go forward now? Yes, so we are set to play uh, Canterbury, this week and then moving forward there's obviously Manawatu and Waikato uh, to play as well and so really the mindset for us is just week by week and keeping the guys focused on the week ahead and like we've no idea what's happening with COVID we've got no idea and no control over uh, what the government interventions may or may not be and so uh, you can get lost in trying to worry about what's happening two or three weeks down the track and so we're really focused and getting the guys aligned on week by week um, and the opportunities that present week by week and preparing um, and the rest of it's really out of our control of what the draw will look mm-hmm. like and how it's going to unfold and um, it makes it difficult to plan, it's difficult on guys to rotate guys in and give guys breaks and all that stuff's gone out the window in terms of growing other people and trying to promote other guys and give them opportunities it's been quite hard to manage the players in that sense because there's no certainty mm. um, so really I don't have, have a real answer to you Smithy around that I just think it's, it's, it's like the players man we're just dealing with it week by week and, and trying to do the best we can in, in some uncertain times really Well you've got uh, some young guys but you've got some great leadership in the group as well and none better than the skipper himself who Possibly may have uh, played his last game at McLean Park. Hopefully not. Um, as he looks to, um, to to put another chapter in his career in in Japan, uh, your um, your assessment is uh, of Ash's influence around that group. Oh, it's, it just can't be understated um, how important he is and how uh, good a leader, great a great leader he is, and. Um, 
like I've said it a few times, Ash has been really good to me, and I've learned I've learned more from Ash than he's learned from me, probably. And uh, you know, for me as a coach, uh, when you don't have to talk to your captain about standards and work ethic and uh, how to be in terms of his preparation during the week, he just role models that, and he'll have a physical game, and he'll be the first guy in the gym on Monday, and he'll be lifting heavy weights. And no one's looking at the captain going, well, he's not doing it. And so it just brings everyone along. And he doesn't have to say too much. It's really his actions and the way he plays and the way he trains and prepares. So uh, for these young guys, someone like that who's taught them through his actions and what he says, but more so through his actions, guys like uh, Jacob Devery and Keanu Kiridu Symes, those young guys coming through in the front row and seeing actually what it takes to be a professional, um, that's been huge, huge for them, huge for, for our coaching staff too. Um, so I can't really say enough about him as a person and as a leader. Uh, we've been really lucky to have him and it's sad that that could be in some ways uh, the, the last game on McLean Park for, for Ash, but uh, what a way to go out. Um, you know, again, a sublime performance from him and, and, the, and the team. OK, Mark, let's look at... Um at yourself then, uh, you're of course uh, entering into a new chapter in your coaching career uh, with the Western Force. Tell us, tell us about that role. Um, do, would, did you have any opportunities to, to perhaps do a similar type role within New Zealand or uh, was the Western Force one uh, really the only option for you to go, keep going forward? Yeah, um, so there's quite a lot of movement within New Zealand um, in terms of super rugby coaches and uh, you know, I'm just conscious of growing. I've just been my fifth year here, and um, it's maybe well, it's getting time for a change of voice, maybe here. Uh, even though I love it and I love the boys here, and hopefully it's uh, reciprocated with them loving me. But maybe not always the case. But uh, you know, it's an opportunity that presented itself, and had to think long and long and hard about it. And it's a full sort of attack coach and leading leading attack, and where the team's going with its attack. Uh, with the Western Force, and so um, no, it's just a good opportunity for me as a school teacher and not a super rugby player or an ex-All Black and just keep chipping away and getting some runs on the board and growing and challenging myself too to, to get better and get better at my craft too. So it was a it was an opportunity that presented which I had to think long and hard about, but um, you know, my heart and soul is here in New Zealand and it's just uh, really a chance for me to go and grow and, and get some experience. So, I mean, that would be for you, uh, even at this uh, early stage. I mean, you haven't even got there yet, but at, at some point uh, to be back, uh, coaching at, uh, at a higher level in New Zealand, that would be for you the ultimate still? Oh, ultimate, I'd love to be in New Zealand coaching uh, Super Rugby and leading in the attack space, uh, a franchise at some point, um, as I say, like I'm born and bred in, in Henderson and West Auckland, and uh, Hawke's Bay's my home now, and we love it here, and I think for me to, to move into that space, I need to go and get some experience, and hopefully do a good job there, but uh, I see myself wanting to come back to New Zealand and connecting up again with hopefully some of these players, uh, some of the students that I've coached in previous years through schoolboy stuff who hopefully will be still involved in the game in New Zealand and I get a, a kick out of, you know, how we play footy and what we're about here in NZ. And um, I think, you know, for me at the moment, I need to go away and, and get a bit more experience in a different space and a different challenge. And then 
as I say, I'd, I'd love to come back um, and keep coaching in New Zealand, whatever that looks like. Mm. Hey, well, uh, Mark, thanks for your time this morning. Obviously, you're back at work already this morning. So, um, look, uh, great performance. Uh, congratulations to yourself and the team uh, and everyone involved at the weekend. And uh, a great season. I haven't even touched on the, um, the, the part that you're at the top of the table as well, which is uh, an, an added bonus. Yeah, man, we just keep chipping away, Smithy. Um, there could be a few games to go here, and it's good the boards are in this morning, lifting and training, and uh, just keep plugging away, really, and um, that's all you can do. All the best, mate. Thank you very much for your time. Go well. Cheers, Smithy. Cheers. All right, mate. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thank you, Mark Ozic there. Uh, fairly understated sort of an individual, isn't he? I mean, he just gets out and does the job, and uh, he, I mean, there is clear love from his players for him and clear respect, and it's come from, you know, quite a long way back, John, so you, you can see um, there's no fanfare uh, about him. I mean, he, he's, to me, as a coach, uh, and to deal with him from a media point of view is never an issue, and he just um, seems to be made of the right stuff to handle most situations. Yeah, that's the first time I've really heard a long interview with him. An impressive man, I think. Um, doesn't give much credit to himself, but he deserves a lot, Smithy, where he's taken Hawks Bay in those five years he's been involved. It's been quite amazing, really. Um, they were battling in the championship not too long ago, now top of the premiership with a good dynasty with the log of wood. And a lot of these players, I think, are going to get um, benefits off the back of this because a lot of those guys, Smithy, uh, for the Magpies on Saturday, aren't super rugby players, but I think they will be yeah. in the very short future. Yeah, and I think uh, we haven't even seen the full extent of the Moana Pacifica side yet, John. Um, just uh, watch the space, perhaps, on a few of those Hawks Bay players. Anyway, uh, time for a, a short break. Uh, and when we come back here on SENZ, it's panel time. What do they make of uh, the weekend's activities? 10-19. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Well, the panel today consists of uh, Jamie Wall, of course, uh, noted rugby writer, and uh, uh, Pat McKendry, who is uh, Herald columnist, and uh, Patrick, I'll start with you if I could, please, because uh, it was boxing's uh, shining light over the weekend in terms of uh, number three in the trilogy, what did you make of the fight, and uh, how do you sum up this Fury character? Yeah, good day, Smithy. Um, look, I thought it was uh, just a remarkable fight. Um, you know, heavyweight boxing doesn't always deliver, um, but, but for various reasons. But this, this one really did, and it was the perfect finish for the trilogy. Um, I thought both men showed a lot of heart and courage. Uh, you know, Wilder clearly lost, but um, he's, he was sort of seen something like a, a playground bully with, with sort of nothing more than a, a very powerful right hand. But he showed tremendous courage uh, to keep going when he when he could have quit. Or, um, you know, uh, and, and as for Tyson Fury, um, well, what a character. Um, he's, I think he is the best heavyweight boxer of his generation. He's... Um, there's nothing constructed about him. He's a natural in every way. Um, and he's just a remarkable personality and character and fantastic for boxing. I mean, he, he, he adds to the show, though. That's where, I mean, he doesn't lose, and he adds to the show. I mean, he must be a promoter's absolute dream, Pat. <laughs> 100%. And, you know, it's just compelling viewing, isn't it, from, from the moment... Um, 
the ring walk starts. You, you just don't know what to expect. And he he always delivers. And I think one of the great things about Tyson is that he, he doesn't really seem to take himself too seriously. Uh, obviously, he takes the craft of boxing very seriously, but not necessarily mm-hmm. himself. And he he's, you know, he's the perfect salesman. He's the perfect seller of fights. Whenever he's on telly, it's compelling viewing. And, you know, even even afterwards, um, singing singing the songs in the ring after winning. And, he, you know, he's proven to have a pretty good voice as well. Mm. Jamie, I'm not sure if you're a, a boxing aficionado or, or even if you saw the fight at all, but uh, this fellow, Tyson Fury, I mean, you, you look at a, a guy like Floyd Money Mayweather who drives down the street and chucks money out the window, etc. This guy couldn't be further from it as a gypsy-type uh, traveller environment. Uh, have, you, have you taken much notice of Tyson Fury? Yeah, Curtis and, and Pat. Um, yeah, actually, yes, yes I have. Um, absolutely, I, I covered the fight yesterday for um, uh, Radio New Zealand, so I definitely, uh, definitely watched it and was really quite um, interested in the build-up around it because uh, it ended up being the absolute perfect fight. I guess you could say everything about it was was great, from the uh, the ring walks, um, even the national anthem was it was it was was worth tuning in for, um, to the fact that it was a heavyweight fight that went almost the full distance and ended with uh, a pretty sensational stoppage. So there's not much more you can ask for from, from a boxing fight. And like Pat just said, you had you have a very gregarious character in, in Fury that people want to that warm to and, and want to get behind. But I have to say that Wilder definitely played played his part in selling this fight as well as this big brawling um, you know, seemingly unstoppable force that was out for revenge. Uh, so it had this had this kind of narrative behind it that was was really, really easy to tap into, and I think that's why there's so much interest. And it's just so fantastic that it, it played out the way that it did. It's awesome, awesome fight. Loved it. Not quite a, a heavyweight contest, but uh, because it was uh, devoid of a, a, quite a few 15 players actually of the of the highest caliber, not part of the Farah Palmer Cup final, but. Jamie, what did you make of that performance from Waikato to uh, lose so many players, make all that effort to get there, and uh, come out on top in the end? Yeah, well, well, first and foremost, congratulations to Waikato. Uh, they played sensationally and fully deserved their win, uh, especially after the obstacles they had to overcome to get there and to go down to Christchurch where the Canterbury women's team haven't lost, I think, for 26 matches, just stretching back, I think, last four and a bit seasons. So well done to them. But I think the circumstances around this game probably deserve to be talked about uh, quite a bit because it really showed that um, by taking those players out and by taking the star power of, say, Stacey Fula and uh, Kendra Coxedge, uh, among others, um, out of that game, really kind of devalued it as a context uh, within a competition that already has a big asterisk next to it because of the withdrawals of uh, Auckland counties and uh, until less recent harbour. But also, one thing I wanted to mention about that was the standard of the refereeing in that game was absolutely shocking. Um, and that's another real black mark against NZR and the way that they've kind of handled this this game. Um, I, I, we don't have time to go through all of the mistakes that were made in that game, but some of them were really glaringly obvious, like goal line dropouts being kicked out uh, on the full and um, uh, a clear try being not being referred to the TMO. Um, so, I mean, after all that, though, the right team won and did so in more convincing fashion than the scoreline would suggest. So well done to them. But it, it, it's probably, if you follow women's rugby, it's, it's just another thing that it doesn't really need. And heading into 
a season next year where um, they're going to try and sell uh, professional competition uh, to people who wouldn't normally watch it. Um, they have to do better in that area. They really do. Because they deserve, because the players who have made that sacrifice, uh, unpaid as well, I might add, um, deserve better. Jamie Wall and Pat McKendry with us on the panel this morning. We'll take a, a quick news break with Trudy when we come back. Uh, more issues to talk about. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Jamie Wall and Pat McKendry with us this morning. Uh, Pat, it was a weekend without international rugby as such, so it was all domestic, the eyes on that. Uh, did, uh, did you run your eye over anything in the weekend that uh, caught your attention? <laughs> Uh, I, I had a wee look, Smithy, uh, kept an eye on uh, on the matches. I guess um, uh, with with a big day of boxing uh, yesterday, I, I was sort of keeping my powder dry for that, really, um, given my family commitments. But um, certainly, uh, some yeah, some some good footy going on uh, around the country. Um, of interest to uh, coming out of uh, international rugby at the weekend was Uruguay, uh, absolutely yep. handled. Uh, the United States, um, and that, of course, is the next all-black match, Pat. That doesn't all go well for a contest. No, it doesn't. And, look, I, I don't think um, anyone was expecting the USA to beat the all-blacks uh, in, in Washington, D.C., but uh, it, it just shows, sort of, I guess, how the struggles and the, or the challenges that, that USA rugby have ahead of it. And this is, this is a country where New Zealand rugby want to make a big push because they feel... Uh, there are financial rewards involved, um, you know, through sponsorships, uh, public support, and so on. But the, the, the playing quality clearly isn't there. Uh, Uruguay beating the USA and, and um, RC Chile um, in Canada as well. So um, Canada's not going to uh, the World Cup. So um, yeah, look, I, I guess. Um, it, what is going to happen is that um, I guess it will be a good platform for some of the returning All Blacks to to sort of have, have an extended training session uh, as such. I know that's probably disrespectful to the USA, but it's the reality, isn't it? Uh, Sam Whitelock, Sam Kane, <clears throat> good opportunities for these guys to come back, put on the black jersey and uh, have a good run around. Well, they certainly had a bit of a run around at the weekend, Jamie. Um, I'm not sure if you were able to watch too many of those encounters, but uh, it seems like they all got through safely and uh, they're heading on the plane. So uh, did you uh, watch uh, any domestic rugby at all over the weekend? Yeah, absolutely did. Um, obviously was pretty thrilled to watch uh, Wellington um, smash Canterbury by, what was it, two points on, on Friday night, uh, which, was, which was a good game. And it was great to see Dane Coles um, back in there and, and he made a real difference. Uh, to a Wellington team that in the last, or this season, has really kind of lacked a bit of experience and leadership. Uh, and on the other side, Timmy Whitelock obviously had uh, got through the whole game, um, and that was great to see. But yeah, tuned in to see um, Sam Kane obviously turn out for King Country on Saturday afternoon, which was which was awesome. And I feel like you know, again, no disrespect to the USA, but he probably got a better workout against Wanganui than he will against them. Um, in a couple of weeks' time, uh, but I think also just from from a Heartland Championship point of view, it was just awesome to see it on TV. And um, because of the lack lack of uh, sorry the gaps in the schedule that exists now because of the, um, the Auckland teams pulling out of the NPC, that's something that Sky could probably do well to have a look at look at going forward. 
um, just a Saturday afternoon Heartland game because I think everyone really enjoyed mm. it and Sam Kane or not, it's, it's a good, uh, it was a good watch. Uh, just going back to, to boxing, Pat, for a second, uh, I, I suppose now he's undefeated, he's had a draw, Tyson Fury. Um, I, I just wonder where for you, I mean, you've watched a lot of boxing over the years, where does, where does Tyson mm. Fury sit all time? Um, good question. Um, he's, well, certainly the best of his generation, I think. Um, uh, what next for him? Well, he's, um, he, he, no doubt he'll want to try and unify the division. And that's something that hasn't been done since Lennox Lewis in 2000, I think. So, I mean, what, what, a, what a goal and an achievement that will be for him. Uh, I think uh, Yusik uh, has a, a rematch clause with Anthony Joshua, um, so both men will have to do that, and, and I guess um, I'm sort of guessing that Yusek again will be too good for Joshua. Um, there's a, there's a, so that potentially that puts him on a collision course with um, with Tyson Fury, and you know that that's that will be a matchup that everyone clearly is going to look forward to. Two very technical and skillful fighters going at it, but I, I just think that Tyson Fury will be too good. He's just too big. He's an absolute monster. And he can fight in virtually any way. He's so adaptable, and, he, and he's proven that. He clearly worked out that Wilder doesn't like being on the back foot, and and that's where he put him um, over the last two fights. So, just um, as I said, a guy who's a complete natural. Um, he's not constructed in any way, in, in or out of the ring, um, and he's just a remarkable fighter. And um, you know, it's a, he he really is putting professional heavyweight boxing back on the map I think and if we can get to that point where there's only one unified champion um, that'll be something everyone will be looking forward to I think it'll be fantastic for the sport Okay so Pat on the face of things uh, how far off the pace is uh, that's set by Tyson Fury how far off the pace is Joseph Parker He's still in the mix Um, he's, he's a top 10 ranked heavyweight and he's and he's very high on the, the WBO list um, I guess the the only issue is that Tyson Fury has said he never wants to fight Joseph uh, so that could prove to be a bit of an issue down the track I see that Joe was in Tyson's uh, dressing room before before the fight and no doubt um, they celebrated together last night uh, you know, he actually Joe actually texted me <coughs> uh, before the fight asked him if, if Tyson would, would, would do it and he said He'll always back uh, Tyson, whatever he does. And uh, and just before he walked out, he said he looks ready. So, um, but two very uh, quite close friends. Um, they get on well with each other. Um, for Joe, his, his immediate assignment is travelling now to London, where he'll fight Eritizora in December uh, for that rematch. Um, he, well, remember, obviously, he, he, he got a close decision win. Uh, last time they fought, so he, he needs he needs to win that. Uh, it'd be a minimum to say relevant, but he, he's still he's still relevant. But time presses on, and and I guess his um his up and coming is coming up, and and he will be put under pressure to maintain that position. Jamie, just finally, we're still waiting for uh, RTS Roger Tuivasa-Shek in uh, some form of rugby. Um, the frustration that surrounds Auckland rugby, and um, do you think there's any worth in a, a little? Uh, a little tri-series amongst the three provinces affected? Uh, well, I think 
so because, I mean, they are paying these players, so they might as well get some um, uh, value out of what they're going to have to pay. Um, I mean, that's, a, that's another story, I guess. But, I mean, I, I think... I think it would definitely be good for him to, uh, to get on the park because otherwise he's going to probably have to start playing club rugby um, early next year. Uh, and uh, if he decides to come back to his club college ruffles, I wouldn't be too unhappy about that. But uh, I think that I think that you know, given that he he did play um, rugby at, at high school, uh, it's not going to be as much of a transition. Like he doesn't need to get that too much up to speed. He has been a professional athlete for his whole adult life, so. You know, the Blues will probably try and get him in there as fast as possible. Um, so yeah, I think I, I think it's, it's just a situation that can't you know no one can really do anything about. And unfortunately, RTS and his return have been caught up uh, in the middle of it. Okay, Jamie Wall and Pat McKendry there with their thoughts uh, as a panel this morning. Interesting too, particularly on the rugby issues. And the boxing one. Boxing, absolutely, I'm loving it. To be fair, I'm absolutely loving this uh, Tyson Fury. I saw a documentary on him prior to um, the second fight. Uh, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, and also um, to hear about his, his family ties and, and that sort of thing and, and what kind of bloke he is and, and how bored he gets. How bored he gets. I mean, he fights for interest's sake because he just can't get in, interested in anything too much himself away from that and he fears for his life after boxing. So... If you get a chance to watch it, um, and now that you're, he's becoming such a high-profile man in the world of boxing, uh, in the world of sport, actually, uh, what a character, absolute character. At 10.42 here on uh, SENZ, uh, you can text us on double eight double three. What did you think of Tyson Fury? Uh, does, he, does he float your boat in that regard? Is uh, he going to uh, engender some interest to you back into heavyweight boxing? Uh, text of uh, the week will get a temper pillow, two ninety nine, dollars uh, and then of course uh, you'll get a $10,000 opportunity to get a queen mattress, adjustable base and uh, pillows as well yeah, 10 k from temper, exciting and it will come from this show 9 to 12. To behind the mic you're in safe hands it's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ yeah, just a small correction, courtesy of Jason and he said Usyk is already the unified champ uh, whoever wins out of him and Fury will be the undisputed champ. But that fight seems uh, quite a way off at the moment. Usyk has got other business with Anthony Joshua to attend with. Speaking of other business, well, England uh, having negotiated a nice little package for their wives and families uh, to take part in the Ashes have now come up with their team, uh, which is pretty strong. It's probably the strongest available. Uh, Joe Root, of course, captaining the side with the uh, wicketkeeper batsman Josh Butler, the vice-captain for the the five-match series, which begins in Brisbane at the Gabba on the, uh, the 8th of December. Cannot wait. Uh, I'm a little bit hesitant about the batting side of things, though. Rory Burns is a bit hit or miss. Uh, Milan's had several goes at it without establishing himself. Uh, Hasib Hamid is just new on the block. Crawley, again, really tall player, quite elegant player, but far from established, you would have thought, in international cricket. Uh, and Johnny Bairstow, who seems to uh, have a revolving door policy with a selector. So batting. Huge question mark against Australia's bowling attack. James Anderson, Stuart Broad, Mark Wood, Craig Overton and Ollie Robinson. Well, that's a fair, fairly handy, uh, not overly rapid pace attack. Uh, so they'll be demanding of uh, the Australian batsmen, Jack Leash and Don Besser, the spinners. They've been around a little bit. Uh, so uh, I mean, they're not world-class in terms of uh, wicket-taking, but they're honest. Uh, the big missing factor will be Ben Stokes. Remember how influential he was in England 
in the last Ashes series, almost winning a Test match single-handed by himself at Headingley. So uh, he's got index finger problems as well as mental health issues. And uh, no Jofra Archer, which is a shame, or Ollie Stone. They're also absent. Uh, Sam Curran is out. And all-rounder Moan Ali has recently retired from Test cricket. So uh, they're going to miss a few people there, particularly Stokes, I think, because uh, of anyone in that English camp, he is at full strength up for a genuine fight against Australia. 10.49 when we come back, speaking of up for a decent fight, we won't get one out of Louis Herman Watt. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Louis Herman Watt. Louis Herman Watt uh, joins us uh, as we speak now to talk about uh, racing over the weekend. Uh, but first of all, uh, news, Louis, coming through that whilst there won't be 10,000 people at the Livermore and Hastings this Saturday, can, they can get 10,000 into the Melbourne Cup. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it is cool. I think there's still a couple of, they still need to hit a couple of check marks. And, and it's, I think there was a question mark over where people could come from to get there. But the reality is they're going to have people on track, which, and I think that's the same for Derby Day and maybe Oaks Day as well, which is really good news, Smithy. It just hasn't been right. Huge weekend of racing. Uh, personally, I got Zarkied. Um, quite severely, mm. but I don't actually care. Well, I do financially, um, yep. But I, I don't because emotionally, probably a one, her fourth group one in Australia, she's just like the gift that keeps on giving. And I know that we, we talk about Melody Bell and Avantage, these wonder mares that racked up group ones. But the reality is, mm. probably has done it time after time. She's pretty much an Australian horse, but we, she's based in race. She's raced in New Zealand maybe, ooh, what would it be, four times? If that, yeah, maybe four or five times. So her bulk of her racing's been in Australia, and she's just knocked them off again. She's knocked their best weight for age horses off, um, and it's quite incredible, really. Okay, well, they, they were looking to pay out pretty early on Zaki and the Cox Plate. They thought that was a done deal. Um, not now. And, and, you know, for other horses and other trainers within, um, with horses in that race, scheduled to uh, to be there, all of a sudden, first isn't guaranteed. No, <laughs> isn't that right? I mean, I I didn't have a ticket on him, on the bookie that was paying out. But what, like, you, you kind of woke, you've watched that race, you've probably rewatched and you've gone, oh no. Because if the track is like that, and you've got to remember that the, the Valley track goes the same way, it's left-handed if that's the issue. Jamie said that he spoke to James, Jamie Richards said he spoke to James McDonald and he thought maybe he doesn't love it left-handed as much and maybe he wanted to run along. But maybe it's the track condition. So if you get a dead track again or a good track, and he... You know the field's going to be wide open when you look at when you can. Well, the field's going to be deep when you consider the horses like Coolsign Mav making the trip. Probabil, uh, Animo will probably line up the three-year-old with uh, mm. you know nothing on its back as far as weight's concerned. You, you're the bookie. You've woken up. You've you've probably watched that race, fallen asleep in like a bit of a trance, woken up and gone, oh no, what have I done? Hey, can I just give you Smithy a story over the weekend that I just love a New Zealand story? Richard Litt, he's a knacky boy. And he's over there training in the, with the big in the big leagues with at Warwick Farm, and he's knocked off a Group One with Profondo, the one point nine million dollar colt in Start Three over two thousand meters in the Spring Champion Stakes. What a training effort that is! So we're going to speak to him tomorrow eight forty on Baz Nizzi for breakfast. I've tracked Richard down because I just think this is probably one of the most incredible training performances you'll see from a Kiwi in a while. 
Rags to riches, Louis. Rags to riches. So, uh, yeah, and speaking of rags to riches or riches to rags. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 11.03 here on SENZ. And for the last uh, time that we've been on, about 13 weeks in the show, every Monday we've talked to uh, Andrew Voss in the slot about uh, rugby league, current rugby league over the weekend and what's coming up. Of course, uh, we haven't got that opportunity because of the fact that uh, we're post-season now, but there are issues to talk about, Vossi. Good morning to you. Uh, And there's been a lot of talk, too, on this side of the Tasman about how we or league should recognise Benji Marshall now that it's, uh, it's all over for him. Uh, people are saying a uh, Sir Benji over here. People over there, some are suggesting immortal. Where does that sit for you? Uh, good morning, Susie. Good morning, listeners. Well, I, I, I lay my cards on the table straight away. Um, and commentators are allowed to have their favourite players. One of my favourite all time, Benji Marshall. Uh, and I actually called his very first TV game. And that was as a schoolboy, so before he played first grade. And I still remember like it was yesterday and being blown away by this amazing, precocious talent who'd leap in the air, and when he leapt in the air, he didn't know whether he was going to land on his left or his right and step um, the, the, the cutout balls. And I can remember working with Phil Gould in co-commentary on this schoolboy game. And Phil made this amazing comment, he will find first grade football easier than schoolboy football. Which was amazing. The you know, first time he'd seen him with his assessment. Because he said he just mm. throws such a good pass that in first grade he'll have blokes who know how to run holes and lines, but he was just way too good for the schoolboy players around him. You know, he was throwing these absolute peaches and, it, it, you know, wasn't perhaps they weren't capitalising on all of that. Um, best, now, now, first of all, let's go through. As far as players are concerned, he's one of the best players I've ever seen at his best. Um, and, and that includes Australian Kiwi players, English players, whatever you want to say. Where the immortal argument, and I'm prepared to put him in the conversation, certainly, because an immortal, you know, the way I see it, and it only started as a competition, by the way, there's no hard and fast rules, but I think if you've got a barometer, it's the sum of all parts. But one of the key things, I think, is influence. And Benji's influence has been incredible. When you speak to players about their their favourite childhood memory of seeing rugby league, they, they talk about the flip pass and the grand final and the step of Marshall, you know, enormous influence on so many players. So certainly in the conversation, have I got him as the best Kiwi player of all time that I have seen? I probably do. I, I, at his best. I'm saying Marshall at his best, better than Stacey Jones. We're talking all great players here. We're talking mm-hmm. great players. Um, Ruben Wickie's record's outstanding. Um, but no, I would probably have Benji as the best Kiwi of my time watching rugby league. So that puts him in the conversation you know, the number of games, um, two grand finals, one a premiership win, the test success for New Zealand. Um, yeah, no, he's, he's got a lot to offer, Benji Marshall. OK, um, let's uh, see how that unfolds. Um, we're just about done almost about the nervous part of Mad Mondays and things. Are we? What, what's, your, what's your verdict <laughs> on Mad Monday this season? Has, has it been a success uh, no, no, or a failure? Well, <laughs> It's been a failure, um, you know, the, the fact that we've had some of the biggest superstars in the game brought down the white powder scandal, um, and and now we're, we're dealing with a broken trophy. Uh, I, I tell you, that, look, it's not the biggest story in the world, but for the next uh, few days, you, you're going to hear more about this story around Penrith. Nathan Cleary will front the NRL Integrity Unit, and it is around um, 
three, as I understand it, three people who acquired tickets to the grand final. And, and I assume they breached border controls or whatever. Anyway, they were sitting next to the Panthers area. Now, the only way they could have got the tickets was from the Panthers. And it's alleged, I assume, you know, you, doesn't, you don't front the integrity unit for something like this unless Nathan arranged the tickets. So, so that's going to be a little story, a little fire to put out to Penrith. Um, uh, they, they've whooped it up on the Gold Coast. Look, there's not too many players that have come home, actually. I think they're all in Queensland. I think they are all there. We had a story mm. here on the weekend that covered um, how many players are now fully vaccinated. There's a lot that have had the first dose. Like some clubs are up over 90% on first dose, but not too many fully vaccinated. So to come back to Sydney and New South Wales, um, today is our Freedom Day, um, but you only get those freedoms if you're fully vaccinated. So until you're fully vaccinated, would you want to come back? Probably not. But for some mm. clubs, you know, off-season training starts in a few weeks' time, first week of November, and there's an expectation to be fully vaccinated. So that's where we are on that one. I would like to think that there won't be any more dramas, but the sun does come up tomorrow, and, and as sure as the sun comes up, there will be drama, Smitty. So lock it in, lock it in. Well, the sun's not coming up. Uh, the Warriors' sun's not coming up for Kane Evans, and I don't think there was too many surprises in that, Bossy. Uh, none at all, none at all. Uh, you, you know, you reap what you sow. Um, Kane Evans' ridiculous behaviour on field, um, in a couple of matches towards the end of the season. Um, and, and that, you know, for mine, he, he, hand, he had the hand in his keys after the second one. I mean, Kane is a is a aggressive player, but the style of play, he needs to really sit down and realise that he is not playing in the 80s. <laughs> that's, that's probably the conversation I'm having with Kane. Mate, the game has moved on. It is not the style of play you are doing your side whoever you play for any time in the future any favours with the style you have you've got to channel your aggression that's my advice to Kane mm. on leaving right okay Brad Arthur resigns uh, from the Eels is that the only coach you got resigns I'm sorry resigns with the Eels so are you surprised, surprised at that hang on I thought there's the drama <laughs> I thought he just resigned yeah. uh, yes no he has Look I, look, I like the idea of certainty. I, I really do. And Parramatta are in a situation next year. Well, actually, it, it, it's game on from November 1. So Parramatta have got a whole bunch of players who are coming off contract at the end of next year. And you say, well, why is that a problem? Well, because if you're coming off contract at the end of next year, all rival clubs can speak to you from November 1 this year. We're about to have a, a new club, a new franchise um, in Queensland so they are going to be looking for player talent. So people like Clint Gutherson, Reid Marnie, who's a Queenslander, can be spoken to from November 1. Well, of course, they're going to sit back and wait for the offer. So there's, there's, there's a fair bit of potential instability at Parramatta. So they've tried, they've tried to sort of ward that off by at least putting certainty in the coaching rings um, and extended Brad Arthur until the end of 2024. But as we all know, Smithy, that's a contract and it's in place and he's got a job. Mm. But if they go, if they suddenly go zero and six to start next year, of course the drums start beating and coaches can get paid out and all the rest. I hope that doesn't happen to Brad. I like the way Parramatta have gone about it. They've got to start somewhere, mm. but um, you know they, they've got to get moving. They're going to get on their bikes and work out now what players they want to re-sign long term. Because I'm hearing players like Murata Niyakore, and he's more likely to be a warrior than an eel somewhere down the track. Okay, so the game never really does go to sleep, even though it's a, a bit of a downtime now. What kind of traffic, personnel-wise, uh, coach-wise, are you looking out for that you've, you may have uh, heard a whisper or two? I mean, we're still not sure about uh, Wayne Bennett, are we? I mean, are we hearing 
Any other movements around? Yeah, the extraordinary, the extraordinary situation with Wayne Bennett is, you know, we got, you, you, you have actually three bidders here for um, a new uh, South East Queensland franchise or yeah, a, a new club, but it's almost a given that Wayne Bennett, whoever gets up, Wayne Bennett's their coach. Um, the, the favourite is Redcliffe and Wayne Bennett, they, they're thinking, will be a, a forwarded coach. That, that's going to become the big story because that will fall, that, that will mean a lot of dominoes fall. Because I think they will get on the front foot and so on. Like people are saying, even someone like Caelan Ponga should be the primary target of the new Queensland club. And he apparently has some clauses in his contracts that are all in his favour to get out. And then, of course, the situation is, what is a contract? Because you can talk to players from November 1 to sign them for 2023, you know how it works, Smithy and our listeners. No, they come back to the club and say, well, I can, can I actually leave a year early because they're offering me three and can become four years? And clubs then say, well, because salary cap constraints and that, that, you know, that player leaving somewhere else forces another player to come in. So that I, I don't think they're going to have a quiet week in the off-season. I, I think there'll be rugby league news each and every week and, and, and possibly even more so ramped up because of the new club. I think they're going to be very active. Every player is going to be linked to the new Queensland club, who, you've got to remember, need to sign in excess of 30 players. So, you know, mm. th- that's going to that's keep burning all the way along, going to keep chugging along all the way through the off-season. Maybe by round one next year, they will have already signed a good portion of that, of that squad. So, Vossi, do you do you actually run uh, a finger over, or a thumb for that matter, over the Super League uh, in the UK? Do you, do you keep an eye on that? I did. I got up early to watch and loved it. I mean, Old Trafford Grand Final had extra sort of NRL interest. I mean, I'd watch it anyway, but, um, you know, to see James Maloney play uh, his final game in the elite competition, I, I spoke to Lachlan Coote in my own program here in Sydney uh, last week. Incredible. Lachlan Coote. You know, he... He was a winner with the Cowboys in 2015. He's since won another three premierships now, St Helens and Challenge Cup. No, I thought it was a, it was an edge of the seat grand final. Not, not greatly unlike our own NRL grand final, to be honest. I, I loved it. Um, disappointed for Catalans, they couldn't create history. But overnight, Toulouse have now won promotion to the Super League. So next year we've got two clubs from France competing in the Super League. Bring it on! I want a spot. Can I? Can I go over and call games in the south of France? Of course you can. Of course you can. You might not be able to get home in a hurry. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, look, I've got to tell you, back at the 2013 World Cup, and actually I saw New Zealand play um, in Avignon, um, which is just fantastic. You know, <laughs> history seeping out of every you know, stone that you, you walk on. Um, yeah. Amazing. And, and going down to Perpignan, it's, it's great news for French Rugby League. Toulouse Olympic are now a player in the Super League, the, the million-pound game, and the Catalan Dragons, let's hope they can build on what they've done this year and and, and have sustained success for a while. Disappointed. I'm always disappointed when the minor premier, in some ways, doesn't win the competition. Um, you know, and, mm. and and they've come so close and yet so far for their first title. They were the minor premiers, but couldn't get the job done. Okay, and other sports news. Uh, all of the debating and negotiating and uh, the pampering is over and done with, and the Ashes will proceed. England named. Uh, as strong a side as they probably can, but for me, Australia are very, very warm favourites at home. Uh, yeah, the, the first test will be played uh, December 8 in Brisbane, all things being well. Um, but uh, yes, they already, if you're looking with the sports betting agencies, they're a, they're a firm favourite. Um, 
look, I'm just happy to talk. Look, I'm, I'm glad that we got a quick resolution because this time last week, you know, we're speculating on, oh, you know, it still mightn't go ahead. It, there's still a bit of territory to cover around the different states here. Um, it, is, it is a bit of a mess, Smithy. I've got to be honest, here in Australia, like it's, it's, uh, it's all over the place as to what rules you have to follow. But it's onward. Today's a significant day because New South Wales become the litmus test for the other states that have been badly affected by COVID. Um, and we're coming out at 70% vaccinated rate or just over 70%. Uh, further restrictions ease come 80%, which will be next Monday. That's, that's fully vaccinated of the eligible population. And they're working towards December 1 when 90% will be fully vaccinated of those over the age of 16 and, and then it'll just be game on. So we're sort of getting back to normal and part of normal over summer is cricket. And, and, and this time it's Australia versus England. I'm, I want as good a show as we can put on and um, hopefully we get it. So life in Sydney, just for, uh, to get away from the sporting side of things, uh, I read an article this morning where it's going to be uh, pretty tough uh, if you're uh, like a, you run a bar or you work in a shop or whatever. People are going to have to identify as vac as fully vaccinated, yeah. and if not, you have the right of refusal. So that's going to produce some interesting scenarios, isn't it? Surely. Yeah, I see. I tell you what, Helen, and, and our listeners, that, well, our rugby fans would know. I had um, Bill Young on this morning, former Wallaby prop, uh, on the program. He's been very successful. He now owns seven pubs across Sydney, Bill. And he basically, I had him on the program today, the reopening, you know, been in lockdown for over 100 days. He had a very good line at the end of the interview. He said, if you're unvaccinated, you've made a decision not to visit our premises. And, and in the short term, that is the case. Not until December 1 will an unvaccinated person come. But he, he did ask, and it's really an impassioned plea on behalf of all businesses that are reopening today. You know, you've got to be sensible about this and behave. It, it is not the retailers or the pubs writing the rules. But these are the rules. You've got to be vaccinated. There will be a process, like to a pub, there will only be one entrance. You've got to come in and prove you're vaccinated, and it should be on your phone now. Um, and they're the rules. And if, if you're caught out, if a business was to let someone in who is not fully vaccinated and they are caught on an on-the-spot check, the business will be fined $5,000 and the customer fined $1,000. So who wants that? No one wants that, Bossy. Absolutely nobody wants that, mate. Uh, look, thanks very much uh, for keeping updated on uh, life in Sydney and uh, uh, around the sporting side of things over there, mate. Always great to catch up on a Monday. Thank you. Good on you, Smithy. Never, never, uh, never a dull moment in, in rugby league in particular. Yes, folks, there will be plenty more news to come, I promise you. <laughs> there will be indeed. Thank you. Andrew Voss there, who has his finger fairly and squarely on the pulse of the game. There's no doubt about that. Right. What about you? What about your thoughts, um, what do we do with, uh, how do we recognise Benji Marshall? I mean, it's all very knee-jerky. Uh, you know, when people retire, we all get emotional and passionate about things, but uh, then some things just sort of drift away. But uh, I don't think Benji Marshall's career should be held in that kind of regard. Uh, we need to recognise it. So how do we, as New Zealanders, how do we as New Zealanders um, reflect on Benji Marshall's career? Um, also, of course, uh, what did you make of uh, Tyson Fury? Where does he rate? If you're a boxing aficionado, where does he rate for you? Um, what league is he in? I mean, he's the greatest of his time, he says. Uh, but what about all time? Where does he rate for you? There's that. Uh, there's also the uh, the officiating and rugby at the moment. With uh, I think calls are still being missed. What are the, f the officials looking at? Um, my understanding is they, they get the TMOs, etc., get the same views that you do at home. That is my understanding of it. Um, they all 
all the pictures are, are supplied by Sky Television when it comes to the rugby issue. So uh, what do they see that, that we don't? I mean, I, I, it leaves me baffled from time to time. It's 11.18 here on SENZ. And, of course, if you do get involved, uh, you could be the text of the week and win a team for fellow with 299 bucks. Us saying how good they are. He just won one on Friday. And then, of course, you've got the, the mattresses, the base, the pillows, etc., as part of the package of $10,000. You will win from the show before the end of the month. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's a, a little bit like the funny season, isn't it, uh, when we ha- don't have uh, a lot of uh, international sport on. We kind of think it's a bit of a lull, but there's plenty over the weekend, and Craig is... Uh, Texted in saying, what a weekend of sport for him. That's what it's all about. Upset women's uh, NPC final and upset there um, in uh, terms of Waikato. But they, they actually deserved to win it. They were the better side, particularly in the second half. They were dominant. Uh, a shield challenge defence. What a game that was. What a, uh, One of the best heavyweight fights in recent times. And all whites win. The Silver Ferns beat the men. The proper bill sticks it to the Aussies. Uh, a great weekend. As you said, no All Blacks. Just shows there is more to sport in New Zealand and just the All Blacks. So, Craig, a really good observation there. A couple of things in there, John, that we haven't really touched on, but uh, the Silver Ferns uh, up against the depleted men's team too. Uh, obviously, it's, uh, the men's team uh, were affected. Um, it was okay to get the the, uh, the Silver Ferns out when they needed to get them out uh, to play the English Roses, but just when they need the quality of opposition to be very strong so they can get the most out of the exercise, uh, four or five of the men unable to get a release out of Auckland, so depleted somewhat, but I suppose still worthwhile in terms of finding combinations. Yeah, they got off to a great start, the men. Uh, they were dominating the Silver Ferns after the first quarter, or something like eight, uh, 15 to 8. Um, the shooters for the Silver Ferns, Smithy, is a big concern. Um, Maya Wilson was an absolute shining light of New Zealand netball last year, and now she just can't seem to hit the hoop, unfortunately. And Tapia Selby Rickett couldn't do much better. Jamie Hume came on and had an absolute shocker. But I was very pleased to see Grayson Wecky come on. Uh, she had the shaky hand against England on debut, but very much assured. And I think Dame Nolene would have sat her down. We talked to Dame Nolene about this. She doesn't pull any punches, does she? She wanted Grayson mm. Wecky to be more aggressive. And Grace um, is just as big as some of these uh, men's players in terms of height. And she was able to physically match it with them, which I thought was really cool. So I think she landed um, somewhere around 90% of her shots, Grace and Wiki, while all her other teammates could barely hit a barn door uh, with the netball. So I think that was a massive positive. But I, I think looking forward to the Commonwealth Games in less than a year, um, we don't have a shooting combination, which is... A really a, a massive worry, and I hope Maya Wilson gets her mojo back because I think she's a great player, and Grayson Wiki could be the one, I think, when we look forward to the Com Games. Uh, she could be the one in the goal shoot, and I don't know who could be the goal attack to help her out at this point in time, Smithy. Yes, 39 from 44 for Grayson Wiki. Uh, Maya Wilson, as you say, 12 from 21. Tapia Selby Rickett, 5 from 13. And Jamie Hume, 2 from 8. Uh, I mean, those are, are poor statistics when you look at uh, netball at any level you wouldn't be happy with that but at international level was it intimidation uh, were the men defenders just too intimidating and if they weren't um, if they were how come Grace and Wiki was able to withstand it uh, when the others could not so um, you know that there'll be questions asked uh, one encouraging sign there was John the trend against the uh, English Rose uh, side was that uh, they would blow a lead um, you know, they'd blow a, a positive situation and turn it into a negative. In this particular situation, 
uh, they improved throughout the match, and I think that's one of the things Dame Nolan uh, w- would take out of that. Yeah. Uh, the other um, performance of the weekend, I thought, really, well, I didn't expect too much from the All Whites. You know, this is a side that's come from 16 different divisions of football to uh, assemble uh, at the, you know, at, at the drop of the hat, really, uh, and they ended up winning. They beat the, the Curacao outfit 2-1 after leading 2-0 at halftime, and now they've got Bahrain on their, Bahrain on their radar, so... Um, a, a really worthwhile exercise all round. Yeah, I mean, when the, any win's a good one for the All Whites, isn't it, Smithy? I mean, we're, we're used to being in Oceania and maybe we'll beat up on the Pacific Island nations a little bit and occasionally lose to New Caledonia. So to come out of, yeah, almost 700 days and I think maybe they would have wanted more. I think they left a few chances out there in the first half, but Chris Wood, I mean, what a player he is, uh, just putting away that second goal, and Sapreet Singh uh, looked very good indeed as well, but now he's left the squad, so he won't be with them, he's gone back to Germany, which I think is fair enough call, Smithy from Danny Hay, um, get Sapreet for one game, but ultimately, uh, you want him doing well in his club football when he's signed by one of the giants of world football, so letting him go, uh, Bahrain beat Curaçao 4-0, we only beat them 2-1, uh, it could be an interesting game against our old foes, our rivals, Bahrain. There's been, uh, John, uh, uh, from Brenton, Brisbane, we've got the, there's been a bit of a debate on various New Zealand uh, football uh, rugby sites, which All Black team is the greatest of the era. I rate, their, uh, rate this team uh, with the very best, the Fred Allen, Fred the Needle coach side from 1966 to 68, uh, the Thrash the Lions 4-0. Uh, an amazing 1967 tour of the UK. Uh, surely we would have uh, won our first Grand Slam, but we, we didn't play Ireland. 63-64 was a great era of New Zealand rugby. The South African tour wasn't cancelled. Uh, what about the side of uh, 80-81? So, um, and that's up against uh, neutral referee. So Kiwi Brent uh, coming in from Brisbane with his observation there. Uh, you know, so uh, plenty still to, to talk about this morning as we head through towards uh, midday and Staffy, Staffy takes over. But of course, uh, the business of the moment is Stump Smithy. It is uh, 11.30 here on SENZ, 0800 150811. You could be our first winner for the week here on The Morning Show. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, that time of the week where we give away 50 bucks from the TAB and some sleep drops as well. New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And where are we going right now? I think we might go to the bay, formerly known as the bay. It is Bay of Plenty and Alan from Whakatane. G'day, mate. Good morning. We need to start a support group, uh, Alan. Teams who have lost in shield challenges to Hawke's Bay this season. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a bit down today on a Monday after Tasman was shellacked. At least we didn't get uh, yeah. you know, uh, done in extra time. That must have been tough to take, Alan. Uh, yeah, it was pretty tough, but um, yeah, I mean it should have been all over as far as I'm concerned at full time when it was a draw, but, but we were lucky enough to still have a chance. Yeah, absolutely. And um, did you hear Sam Kane with us this morning? Didn't play for the Bay, Bay of Plenty, but played for King Country? Yep, yep, I heard that. Yeah, no, it was good to see him back, wasn't it? Love, uh, love a bit of Sam Kane. But right now, better things to worry about. It's you winning. Uh, so three sporting categories. You choose one and then get three questions right. You win those beautiful prizes, but get one wrong and Smithy can stump you. So today, we're going for golf, basketball and boxing. What are you going to go for? 
Um, I'll go for golf. Golf or Smithy's strong suit. Interesting. Well, I had Smithy on basketball and he was pretty bloody good at that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just uh, got a hit and hope, just like my golf game. All right, let's go. Question number one on golf. The USA romped to victory in the Ryder Cup over Europe this year. What was the record scoreline? 19-9. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. There we go, Smithy. He's on a roll early. Yeah, good on you. Good start, Alan. One note. All right, question oh. number two. The number one player in men's golf is John Rahm. Everyone knows that. But who is the number one in women's golf? Um, yeah, no, sorry, I don't know that one. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, chance for a stumping. Well, I'm not quite sure because uh, this morning uh, a tournament was won by J.Y. Co. Uh, and she's there or thereabouts and always has been. But up until this morning, I believe the number one women's player in the world was Nelly Corder. There he goes, all the way up into the stand. What a hit in the first tier. That's hitting a cricket ball. Yep, you play with fire, you get burnt, Alan. Smithy knows his golf well, well, and he's beaten you there. He stumped you. Well done, Smithy. Cheers, Alan. Yep. Look forward to your next try, mate. Look forward to next time. <laughs> Absolutely. So on we move. Carl from Auckland. G'day, Carl. G'day, mate. How you going? Good, good, thank you. Uh, do you know much about golf? Nah. No. Okay. Can I go, go, can I go another topic? <gasps> what do you reckon, Smithy? Yeah, no problem. All what right. Do you, what, do you, what, what, what do you want, mate? You'll just rustle up a question. <laughs> what, do you, what do you feel like, Carl? Oh, boxing. Anything, you want to go anything. boxing? Okay. Yeah. All right, Carl. We'll try a bit of boxing with you, eh? Okay, mate. All right. Let's see how you go. Heavyweight champion Alexander Usyk was born on January 17th. Which other boxer does he share a birthday with? Oh, um... Uh... Oh, no. Tyson Fury? One of the worst things I have ever seen <laughs> done on a cricket field. Smithy. Okay, well here's the thing, John, for, for this to be actually a recognised thing, I don't know, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm going on this. For this to be recognised as a uh, viable question, it has to be someone in the boxing world who is very, very, very famous. So I can only think he's uh, got the same birthday as Muhammad Ali. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Back to back, Smithy, you're on a hat trick. Well done, mate. Whoa. Unlucky, Carl. Let's get there, mate. Let's get there. Yep, okay, mate. No worries. Hey, never give up, though. Keep on calling us throughout the week and keep on texting as well because we will give you a pillow worth two ninety nine if you're the best of the week and $10,000 bed package as well if you're the best of the month. So we go to caller number three, which is our mate, Reed from Gore. G'day, Reed. How are we going, team? Good, mate. Those stags, I thought they were on to a winnies today at halftime. I know, I know. Unlucky, eh? Yeah, very unlucky that Brett Cameron played so well. But we're going to stick with boxing here. Smithy's on a hat trick. So don't be his third victim, all right? He's on fire. He is, he is. All right, let's see how you go. <laughs> Question number two in boxing. Usyk, Alexander Usyk, 
had 350 fights as an amateur, including winning the gold medal at the London Olympics in 2012. How many of those 350 fights did he lose? I'm going to go with two. He's got him. He's out caught. Not correct. Smithy, a hat-trick opportunity for you of stumpings, but a very difficult one. Okay, so... Yeah, there's a lot of fights there, but cl quite clearly, um, he's uh, he's got a very strong ratio of it. I'm going to say he uh, has only ever lost one fight. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not that good. He's lost 15 fights as an amateur out of 350. Still not a bad percentage. So, Reid, you're still alive. One question to get the sleep drops and to get the 50 bucks from the TAB. It's another Usyk question. Alexander Usyk is the first Ukrainian heavyweight world champion since who? Oh, I wouldn't have a clue. I don't know much about boxing. <laughs> it's unlucky then to call in on this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I have to go by pass on this one. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Panelist Brian's just whispering, whispering, put a name out there, but Smithy, you got a chance for it. Third stumping this morning. Well, here's the thing. I reckon that there, um, the Klitschko brothers might be out of this. So I'm going to go for Vitaly, Vitaly Klitschko. I know they're two brothers, I might have got the wrong one. Feet everywhere. Body nowhere, and uh, the rest of him on the way back to the pavilion. You did get the wrong one, Smithy. It is Vladimir Klitschko. You went Vitaly, it was Vladimir. So just two stumpings for you today, Smithy. And that means, Reed, you have 50 bucks from the TAB and Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. Try New Zealand sleepdrops.co.nz for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges. But always read the label. Take us directed Sleep Drops Auckland. Good on you, Reed. I love it. Love that, guys. Thanks very much. Cheers. All the best, mate. Stay on the line. Uh, 11.49 here at SCNZ. Uh, we'll talk to Staffy just prior to uh, midday. Uh, and when we come back, more of your texts. Uh, double eight, double three. Still a chance to get uh, one or two in. There have uh, been more coming. And uh, if you want a late phone call as well, 0800 150 811. New Zealand. Superman. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Text coming in from Steve Morning Smithy. Wouldn't quite put Fury up there with Ali, Fraser, Foreman or Holmes, but definitely think he would be in the argument with the other greats. What a great verbal spar it would have been with the Gypsy King and Ali. I mean, yeah, it would, Steve. You're absolutely dead right. But it, what he, he he's just added character to what was a very, I thought, quite a dull division in boxing. I mean, I, I've been... a, a not an avid fight fan, but I've always taken interest in the big clashes, you know, the, the ones I go back as far as Liston, Sonny Liston and Cassius Clay as he was back then. So uh, I, I do have a bit of a history watching it and I've loved it. I love the occasion. I love everything about it. Uh, but this guy's just brought it back. Uh, and, you know, he's not, as we talked to him with Mike Angove, he's not your traditional buffed fighter, you know, with, with sweat glistening off him and all that sort of thing. I mean, he is just an out-and-out, out, uh, you know, gypsy. And if you watch those gypsy programs, on the traveller programs on TV, they have a lot of fighting in their history. You know, the bare-knuckle fighting and the tough stuff uh, in people's backyards, etc., where it's, it's just slug after slug after slug. And this guy's obviously with his family had a history in, in that. But what he's brought is a, a novelty value to boxing. 
and, and then he sings. He sings. Uh, you know, at, at the end of each fight, he sings to the crowd. I mean, he's just, John, I, I'm not sure if you've, you've seen too much of him, but he is just an absolute entertainer. He's perfect, absolutely perfect. And I, I really, at the moment, I, I look at Joseph Parker, and I know he's a friend of the show, etc. but I, I just don't, I, it's man against boy. You know, for me, if you look at the build in particular, man against boy. Yeah, I agree, Smithy. I was watching that fight yesterday, and I even I watched the Joshua Usyk fight, and I even thought they looked like a class below what those two guys were delivering yesterday. And I know Tyson Fury has been controversial in the past. I mean, what boxer hasn't really? Um, but uh, he's come through that uh, very very strong in his faith, isn't he? Uh, which is strange for a guy who's as animated as Tyson Fury. Um, normally you don't put those two things together. Uh, but he is entertaining, he's great for the sport, and he is an incredible boxer. And I just think head and shoulders, I think he was right in his own assessment. He's number one. And Wilder's number two. Like those shots they were hitting each other with yesterday, I think they knock out Joseph Parker easy. I think they knock out even Usyk and Joshua. Like those two are incredible. And what they're going to do from beyond these three fights that we've had is going to be a bit of a come down, I think, Smithy. Um, but I'm looking forward to Usyk's a different challenge. Like we heard from Mike, he's, he's slick, he's a southpaw, he's totally different to Deontay Wilder, isn't he? So the interest in the heavyweight division from the Klitschko's to now has come a long, long way and it is well and truly alive, which is cool because for me it's the only real boxing I take uh, take note of is the heavyweight division. Yeah, well, um, you know, I, I was always big on uh, Pacquiao, uh, Hatton. I, I thought Pacquiao and, and Hatton, Ricky Hatton, they were big fights. Um, you know, in that division, I, I thought there was a, a, a good era there. Um, developing, but that seems to have uh, disappeared a little bit off the planet at the moment. Uh, so yeah, uh, we'll take it. Uh, it would be interesting. I, I, I'm not quite sure of the future for Wilder though. Um, you know, he'd been pummeled. He's been pummeled. I wonder what his brain looks like over that, that trilogy with, uh, with with Fury because he's taken some massive hits and they are colossuses when they get knocked down on, on the ground and, and, and uh, it's pretty hard to pick themselves up, but it, it has been an, an amazing spectacle. Uh, uh, interesting too. I, I'm not quite sure if you caught the netball over the weekend. Um, is uh, and, and Peter's come in from Auckland to say, is, isn't New Zealand netball selling itself and netball in general short? Uh, we have to play gimmick fixtures against the men's team. Well, gimmick's an interesting word there. I wonder, John, whether you regard them as as a gimmick fixture. What they are is a necessary fixture in terms of finding quality opposition. I'm sure if there are women's teams around that were available to play and test and test them to the full. Uh, then that would probably be the preference. But um, men's netball is a genuine thing. Um, Pete says, find me another New Zealand code that would put uh, men against women. Clearly not rugby, clearly not league, clearly not hockey, clearly not cricket. Um, There are some sports, I suppose, you could, but you can't... It's not a fair contest when it comes to the physical side of it. So, you know, I mean, who's the, the great darts player who's winning... Fannin, uh, and uh, in the UK, Fannin. I mean, there's a, a sport where, uh, and I've been watching some professional pool and snooker on television. Women to the fore in that as well. It's just those physical contact sports which uh, leave the the, uh, the women inferior in that respect. And inferior is probably not a, a a good word, but it's a true word. What what do you, what do you think, John? In terms of is it a gimmick this thing, or it, I don't regard it as that. 
No, it was just unusual. I think when it first popped up, we're like, wait, why is this happening? Because we're not used to it, is it? Um, but I don't think it's a gimmick. They're, they're a genuine side, that New Zealand men's side. Like they've, they've played all their lives. They are as, you know, as professional as they can be. It's just that the International Netball Federation won't recognise men's netball. That's why it's um, unusual for us. They don't get their own World Cups. They don't get any um, support from the governing body. I don't think it's a gimmick. I think it's a great matchup. The fact that the Ferns have beaten them twice out of five times, I think that means that it's quite even um, and they have to find different ways of getting around the men who are just big, tall. They throw the ball like from one third to the next so easy with one hand behind the back. It's a different challenge. I think it's uh, really worthwhile for our Silver Ferns and I'm quite interested to see how it goes tonight, Smithy. And I think the men will be pretty keen to bounce back. So there is intrigue. It's a very good hit out and I, I don't think it's a gimmick at all. Okay, so uh, I've been watching the golf too, and Sanjay M has cleared out in this latest PGA, the Shriners uh, Children's Hospital event, uh, the latest in the PGA Tour. Uh, so Sanjay M is uh, around four shots clear with about four holes to go. Uh, there's others in the field who have got more to go, but uh, they've got a lot of work to do catch up to him. So it looks like Sanjay M will be the latest winner on the PGA Tour, picking up uh, a million and a bit. Um, as a result of that, also uh, just on the subject of golf, remember women have tried to play on the PGA. Annika Sorumstan tried to play on the PGA and after one event she said, not for me, thanks, uh, I'll stick with the ladies. Michelle Wee was another one uh, who was uh, asked to play in the PGA and uh, played in it, didn't go so good in it. Um, you know, so it's been tried. Um, they were a bit gimmicky, I think, but I'm with you. I don't think the netball is because it's been played with a purpose in mind uh, and it's to benefit not only um, give us exposure to men's netball, but to benefit the silver ferns, to benefit, and I think for that reason, it's a, a genuine thing. 11.52 here on SENZ, it'll be a happy, a happy Mark Stafford. The turbos weren't at the, uh, one at the weekend, we'll catch up with them shortly.